Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all of the shows at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you are not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by going to patreon.com slash majorspoilers. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, a butterfly tells a skeleton an important tale of life as we take a look at Pretty Deadly Volume 1. There's banned books and alien warriors and more alien warriors, but this time with PTSD. And somewhere, someone is playing the world's most dangerous game. We are here, dear friends, with all the comics, movies, TV, and books that you love, as long as it's there. And all of it done with a pleasing accent like that guy from The Big Lebowski. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air, hombre. Welcome to issue 869 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. We are so happy to hear you, happy to have you here and have you listening. Uh, before the show, we were talking about wrestling and uh, television, late night television shows in times of the uh, coronavirus, as well as a little bit on the comic book shops. But the comic book shops are what is uh, our main discussion this week. And if you want to hear all that pre-show conversation, you can uh, head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers, sign up to the silver level and get access to that. So... Man, things are moving at a million miles an hour right now. Uh, last week, it was comic shops were going to be uh, listed as non-essential places and would have to close down. I know before GameStop shut down, we went in and the guy was very adamant about only keeping 10 people in the store at a time. Uh, but now GameStop has shut down. Comic book stores have shut down. Some comic book stores figured out ways that they could stay open and still serve the public. That was until late Friday Monday, somewhere around in that time period, when Diamond said, hey, look, we're having hardships, too, because we are a non-essential business, uh, so we are stopping shipment of all comics until further notice. So even if you're a comic book store, you're not going to be able to get uh, comics. They're simply not going to ship them out to you. Now, uh, DC, Marvel, Boom, IDW Publishing, Vault Comics, Alterna, all these other uh, publishers, prior to Diamond saying we're not shipping comics had all started to make announcements about how they were going to work with retailers, uh, give them a steeper discount on the comics that they were ordering, all these kinds of things. And now it seems like, Ashley, uh, the comic book shops and maybe comics in general are in big trouble, according to everyone else. I think Alterna, Alterna Comics had said in one of their statements, "We are uh, the industry is hanging by a thread, I think is the quote that they had said. I mean, I think that's probably accurate. Um just to be really crummy about it, it we're going to see a huge shift for the industry in the future. And I actually think it's going to bring about a lot of the things that um, we've been screaming about on the Major Spoilers podcast since before I was on it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that part of that is going to be for good. And part of that might wind up being for ill because Comixology announced that they are still putting out books on the allotted release dates. And, yeah. Um, I know you talked a lot about this on this week's morning stream Monday episode uh -huh. as well, but because, you know, we're ordering so far in advance, a lot of those titles are already solicited. Like we're about yeah. to uh, solicit Jupiter Jet uh, in the Forgotten Radio, and that was going to be a digital first release and then a trade. And I think even just shutting down for a month, and let's be honest, we're looking at a month as the best possible option, the shortest possible option, um, 
I think we're going to see a lot of shifting in what is printed and the price points that things are printed at. Mm -hmm. And if you own a comic shop right now, I would say, I do not envy you. Yeah, no, uh, you know, Dynamite had said that for their June or sorry, their July books, they were going to cut their number of books that they were offering in half. Because well, every, I think everyone said that except Marvel and DC. Yeah, well, of course they've got to maintain their <laughs> they've got to maintain their their status, and uh, and they are of course owned by bigger entities than just the publishing arms. Right. Which I fully, exactly. fully so admit. it does not it would not surprise me that Marvel and DC would say, "Oh no, digital first, no problem." Um, yeah. And the one thing that I kind of hit it on before, and I and I don't mean this. I, I love small business. I'm a small business. Uh, I love small businesses, and I think that there's something great about a comic shop, especially when it comes to community and people getting together. But I would say that if there is a comic shop that is worried that Digital First is going to force their stores out of business after all of this is over, then you probably need to look inside and figure out why you were in that situation to begin with with your comic book shop. What were you not doing to draw people in? Uh, Because there's a lot of other reasons people come to a comic book shop besides just picking up weekly issues, trade paperbacks, uh, exclusive figures, those kinds of things. So, um, you know, I I, I would feel bad if there are comic shops that are closing. In fact, uh, J. Michael T. had mentioned that his comic shops uh, closed like two weeks ago. Suddenly they just were like, we can't handle this. We're out of business. Uh, Matthew, I'm wondering what your reactions to a lot of this is. On the one hand, um, I am surprised not that Diamond made this decision, but that they made it at a time that I feel might actually do some good. This, in the grander scheme, and again, anyone who, you know, who, whose job, whose business is going to be threatened by this, all my best. I am hoping that everything works out for you. I, I wish there was more that I could do. But this is a responsible decision for Diamond to make because Diamond has a lot of employees who would be coming in to actually put those fulfillments out. Then they'd have to be shipped. They'd be going to stores. Some of the stores would then be getting product that they could not sell. So on the one hand, you know, you're not having a store responsible for something that they can't sell because they're closed. You're not having diamond employees in the warehouse, possibly exposing themselves to, you know, issues with COVID-19. Right. You are, you are taking an inessential business and you are putting it on hold for the duration of the pandemic, which I feel is a responsible move. It is, it's, you know, something that I feel is going to hurt some local businesses. And I feel like, it's one thing to say, you know, what is wrong with a store or what could you be doing differently? But there's also the question, and the bigger question is, is in the world of a diamond monopoly, mm-hmm. what can we do to make the stores more successful? And I feel like the first answer to that is, hey, let's not be in a diamond monopoly anymore. But yeah. well, again... And- those, those are kind of bigger issues that we have to look well, at. Well, going back to my, you know, stores that are worried about Digital First uh, shutting them down, uh, think of your favorite local pizza restaurant, right? And are they shut down because Pizza Hut is around? Have they shut down because Domino's is around? Have they shut down because people can go buy a frozen pizza and bake it at home? They haven't. So what about that local shop, that local pizza shop works? And figure out how that applies to your, your comics. Now, in in a... In, the question I would ask you now, Rodrigo, is what do comics look like after all of this is open and comics uh, are start to ship again? What what does the landscape look like? I don't know. I don't know because um, I, I think what's going to make the difference is um, how fast Diamond gets up and going. 
uh, once, like when this is all over and if everything turns out fine and everything's good, um, at what moment does Diamond kick it back into gear? And is there going to be anyone else who's going to take this opportunity? Because if they do, then we could have competition in comics distribution and, and the first we've seen of it since uh, ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, so this is... 95, 96. Yeah, so this isn't the first time that comics have had a major disruption. Uh, back when, what year was DC doing their New 52? That was like 76, 77? Not their, uh, their big expansion, the DC ex, uh, explosion. The DC explosion would have been 77, 78. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they were introducing, that's, uh, they introduced like 52 new comics. That's why, why I was thinking of the new 52. Uh, they introduced 52 new comics in that, and they had a new publishing initiative, and they, things were going great. Uh, it's, it's interesting to go back and look at some of the letters columns and some of the uh, back matter in DC Comics as they were building up to this and talking about this, because it was very, very interesting. Everyone also knows about the big DC implosion. One of the biggest reasons for that DC implosion was a huge winter storm that locked down a big portion of the United States for weeks at a time that caused books not to ship when they were supposed to. And comic stores weren't getting their shipments when they were supposed to. And because those shipments were delayed, it caused DC to uh, look at the, their one-month numbers and say, hey, wait a minute, these books didn't sell as well as we thought we, they did. We better start cutting titles. Uh, so this kind of stuff has happened before in in regards of huge disruptions to comic book shipping. And I would say comics now are much, much better than they were in the 1970s as far as accessibility and the number of comics that are available and those kinds of things. With that in mind, what are we supposed to do now? Uh, Monday on, on the morning stream I was on, as Ashley had said, I was on talking about, hey, if you can, if your store is still open and they are still, you know, doing curbside pickup or whatever, now would be a good time to go buy trade paperbacks or single issues or whatever. What do we do now that Diamond is not even shipping any new stuff to those comic book shops? Well, as far as reading comics? Yeah. You get them digitally, I guess. Okay. Matthew? Uh, if there's no new product, I would read the old product. Yes. I mean, there are there are the hundreds of thousands of comics out there. Um, if you want to go far enough back, you can go all the way back. I know the Digital Comic Museum is there. They have a bunch of uh, public domain works dating back to like 1936. There's a lot of things that you, you can read that exist in the universe. If, if you still can get into your comic book shop, now's a good time to pick up all those titles in the back issue bin that you wanted to get to, you know, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, and you were like, eh, I'm going to stick with my Spider-Mans this week. And uh, you you said, eh, that boom book can just wait another week or whatever. Now's the time to go into the back issue bin and buy all those things that you would have bought uh, a year or two ago and get caught up on all the comics. Matthew's right. There's literally hundreds of thousands of comics that ship each year that people don't read. And now is a good time to dive into those back issue bins if you can. And pick those up. Uh, if you can still get to your comic book shop and you want to support them, trade paperbacks are another great way. Ashley, uh, uh, what are some other ideas for people? The best thing that I encourage people to do, especially when they are talking about books, is that if you cannot get a book on Amazon or you cannot get a book from your local comic book store, uh, the next best thing to do is to support the creative team that made mm -hmm. the book. You can purchase those directly from the artists on their websites or mm -hmm. the authors on our websites. But if you're looking specifically to keep your community comic book store open, 
call them up. I guarantee you someone is still answering the phone. It's the person who owns it because they're invested. Uh, offer to pay for your poll in advance. Pay for everything that they've already ordered for you for the next six months. Um, and there's still quite a few options where stores are doing curbside or they're doing mail because people are working from home mm-hmm. or only one person is going in. Those are great things that you could take advantage of. Yeah. And I currently, that's how I get my comics is I pay in advance for all the comics uh, for the month when, when they're ordered. Uh, she sends me a bill. I pay it. And then she just mails me my comics uh, and I get a, a shipment every week. Now that's going to change, obviously. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you can pick up some stuff in the future, uh, some comic stores have um, um, gift certificates. Uh, gift certificates are a good way to kind of keep them afloat in the short term. Um, and I, I really think trades are a good thing if you need that tactile feedback because, you know, there's going to be some people out there yes. that are just like, oh, I can't read digital comics. They're just the worst thing in the world. I got to have the real comic in my hand. And it's like, well, great. Go and get some trade paperbacks or go and get some older uh, comics and read those as well. Plenty of stuff on those shelves. That's why there's boxes and boxes and boxes hogging up the middle of the uh, comic book uh, shop space uh, because that's where all the back issues are. So go go uh, diving in those bins and find something good. Any other thoughts or comments that you guys want to share in regards to uh, Diamond shutting down for the foreseeable future? If you have the option, if you have access to, you know, your local store, I I do agree with Stephen. You definitely want to make sure that you're trying to support them if you can. If you can't, that's also okay. I mean, that that is part of the situation here. This is worldwide. This is a situation where you yourself may be in some weird dire straits. So try and be nice to the comic store people if you can get to them. Try and make sure that you're as supportive and, you know, non-jerk as possible. Try to understand that this is a situation beyond anyone's control. It's not Steve Geppi's fault. It's not Joe Quesada's fault. It's not... I was going to say Dan DiDio, but I don't know who it is. It's not Jim I'm sure they'll Lee's try fault. to Dan, blame Dan DiDio on this. Oh, and I'm sure. Or He's C. on his way out. This is the thing. C.B. Sabolsky, any of these guys, the guy at your local comic store, the people writing comics, Ashley and Jason writing Jupiter Jet, all of these people are affected by the situation. It's not anybody's fault. And if we can maybe pull together and be positive and be supportive sure. of each other in this terrible situation... Even if your comic store goes away, even if terrible things happen, even if, you know, economic issues make the entire comic industry collapse, we still have to be decent to each other. We still have to, you know, be excellent to each other, well, in the words of a couple I think of stoners. A lot of comic creators have already said this, and I, I think I remember Brian Michael Bendis saying this, comics aren't going away. Okay, comics aren't no. going away. The landscape will. Carl just popped up in our Discord. I just want to hear your take on the impact for the industry will be. I trust no one more than you when it comes to helping me understand the business side of comics. Well, I don't know all the business side of comics. I do know that there will be a large portion of comic book shops that will shut down because of this. I'm hoping that, you know, the government is putting together some plan. Maybe we'll find out tomorrow. Maybe we'll find out next week that is supposed to help small businesses. Maybe some of these comic shops can get some of that small business money. But uh, I do think that there will be a large number of comic book shops that shut down because of this. Uh, I don't think that, and I think that maybe there are some very small publishers that might uh, have to shut down as well. Um, Who is it? Aspen Comics said that they were ceasing publication of their books. I think the only thing they said that they were going to be doing was uh, reprints of the old stuff, and that was it. Um, But they're, you know, stopping production uh, until further announcement. Humanoids, I just saw. Uh, Mark Wade said that they were suspending all of their operations for a month. 
That is going to create hardships for creators. Uh, but when comics come back, they will come back and you will be able to read all your stuff. Uh, in the meantime, if Comixology is for sure going to push ahead with day and date release, you'll still be able to read comics digitally. Um, you know, you can read it on your computer. You can read it on your your uh, mobile device. You can read it on your tablet device. Uh, so there still will be ways to get comics. We just have to shift. And I think Rodrigo had also said that we don't know what's going to happen, but the landscape will change going forward. And we just need to kind of be prepared for that. Yeah. The, the good thing about comics is that actually comic book creation is very uh, isolation friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the writer, yes. the the editor, the artist, the anchor, all of these people don't have to be in the same room now that everything's digital, right? So um, unlike, say, making a television show with like live action people, um, that is a comic books are a form of entertainment that can adapt quickly, assuming that the people involved can adapt quickly, right? It's like, it's, it's ripe for that adaptation. Um, all of the pieces are already there, assuming that yeah. they can figure out a good way to put them together. Yep. 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 Ashley, last word on this. Just uh, like Matthew said, be kind, be patient, be as supportive as you can, whether that is financially or otherwise. Yep. And uh, wash your home, wash your hands and uh, stay at home. Social social distance, ladies and gentlemen, social distance. Hey, listen, if you want to join the conversation about uh, this, uh, this topic, then you can do it over in our discord channel. I just mentioned it a moment ago. You can join the major spoilers discord for free. Totally free to do it. There's a link in the show notes. Or if you want access to super secret rooms at the Major Spoilers Discord, you can link your Patreon account and get access to even more features. You can find out more at patreon.com slash major spoilers. So while we still have comics, let's talk comics. Matthew, what is going on with the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers this week? Necessary Evil is rolling on in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 49. Written by Ryan Parrott, art by Daniela De Nicolo. Nicolo. I gotta learn how to pronounce these words. I gotta do it because I'm from Kansas and I need to learn these things, darn it. Daniela Di Nicolo. That's what I'm going to go with. So, if you've been paying attention to the Power Rangers, and if you haven't been, why not? Uh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers are currently led by Tommy, uh, consisting of Rocky, Adam, Aisha, Billy, and Kim. However, the missing members of the team who disappeared to the peace conference in season two, which is code word for getting fired for asking for more money, uh, Jason, Zach, and Trini have returned as the newfangled Omega Rangers. They have now revealed themselves to one another, and both teams have gone into space in Tommy's Tiger Zord. And can I just take a sidebar here? When you're designing spacecraft... Making them look like robot tigers with a big tail that's actually a scimitar. There are worse ways to go. I think if Elon Musk is listening, and I know he is, I'm just saying space tigers with sword tails. Think about it. Don't think too hard, but think about it. Okay, so in space, white tiger flying through space. Now, the Omega Rangers and the Power Rangers are working together to try and find the missing member of the Omega Ranger, their Blue Ranger, who has gone evil and formed a group called the Anointed. And the reason they call themselves the Anointed is that they are able to channel the power of the morphing grid directly into their bodies without morphing. If you've seen a Power Ranger punch anything, you'll know this is bad. So the seven, no, eight, no, nine, nine 
do I hear 10? No, nine rangers have now teamed up to fight the anointed, including several of the big villains of the last couple of arcs. This necessary evil arc has been going on for probably 10 issues now. Yeah, it seems like it's been going on for a while. It's the one that came yeah. on right after uh, Electric Grid or whatever that was. Shattered, Shattered Grid. grid. There was yeah. Shattered Grid. Then there was Beyond the Grid. Beyond the Grid is important here, too, because the Ranger Slayer, who is, uh, spoilers, a future evil version of Kim from a timeline where Tommy went insane and killed everybody, has shown up to team up with the Rangers as well. I hear she's getting her own series soon. Um, but all of these Rangers, so it is 10 Rangers. Hey, Way to go, Matthew. I knew what I was talking about, even though I didn't know that I knew what I know what I knew. So they, they have finally gotten together. They're ready to fight. And throughout this issue, it looks like they're going to win until they don't. And by the end of the issue, I'm pretty sure that all of the swords are destroyed. And there's a possibility that somebody may be dead because Jason is calling out, trying to find somebody on comms. And there is no response from any of the Rangers anywhere cliffhanger i have been following this particular arc from the beginning and it seems like every issue they find a way to make things even worse now this is issue 49 which means next issue is the big 50th anniversary i am expecting if and when that book comes out a big 50th anniversary schmageggy fight double size spectacular resolving the situation but I don't know where you go from here. I don't know how this book continues. And I think that's the most fascinating part of it. From an art perspective, I love this, just the look of this book. They, all of the characters have unique faces. They are not the faces of the actors. So, you know, be aware of that. You're not going to be actually seeing Amy Jo Johnston. But you will be able to tell from page to page, from panel to panel, even on a close-up of just the eyes, that's Kim. More importantly, you can tell from faces, that's Kim, and that's evil future Kim, who's actually the same woman. That's difficult. That's really hard to do, especially when you're working you know, with pencils and inks and colors. The colors are pretty phenomenal. The story is scaring the heck out of me. I wonder who's going to survive. And because this is an alternate reality from the version of power rangers that i don't want to say i grew up with because i was 23 when i started watching but the version of power rangers that i actually grew up with because you know i wasn't an adult until i was 37 years old is this is a different version this is a version where anything can happen and so far they have used that to great effect i'm going to go with four slices of meatloaf for this issue i want to see how this all wraps up but I want to see it in the way where, oh, I hope this is really great and not can we get on to the next thing. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. But in this case, it's clearly the one that's good. Yeah. All right. Cool. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers over there at the Boom Studios. Also coming out from Boom Studios this week is Folklords number five, the fifth issue in the Matt Kent, Matt Smith story about a kid in a fantasy setting who has this weird feeling that he that there's something greater out there in his quest is to go and find the folklords, the people that are supposed to be in control of this world. And the librarians are after him and he meets friends along the way and enemies along the way. And this issue is the big culmination. And got to say, it's kind of a letdown. Um, we do. He does meet a folklore. We do find out what's going on. And as you suspect, it, it's somebody from a quote unquote real world who has uh, taken up shop in this magical land 
and is using his writing skills to do things, claims that he's an immortal, and uh, things happen very quickly, very choppy, very fragmented in ways to reach the conclusion of this issue. And then our hero is sent on another mission to go and find all of the other folklords that might be out there. I I was expecting something more. Remember, Matthew, what was that uh, gangster wizards thing that we read from Dark Horse not too long ago for the Dueling Review show? Uh, wizard, shotgun, gangster, something like that. Um, it ended rather abruptly as well in four issues or so. And when I commented that it felt like it was rushed... The response was from the creators. Yes, we were told we had to knock this out in four issues instead of six Oof. issues. And that's kind of the way this feels, even though Boom Studios has been doing five issue miniseries for a long time. The final act, the the climax of this story just felt super rushed. The moments where you thought that things should be drawn out a little longer or more information should be revealed. It's just done and gone. Moved on to the next scene. Uh, let us. You know, let's take care of the folklore. Let's uh, take care of the librarians in one page. And then let's uh, spend a page or two getting our uh, hero on to his next adventure. And I was surprised at how disjointed the ending felt, considering that all the previous issues uh, have been really good in their storytelling. The art is fantastic. The storytelling is fine. But I was I was really kind of let down by the end of the story. Now, is it an ending? Yes, it is. Is it a ending that fits with the narrative as it's being told yes it doesn't feel like an ending has been changed at the last minute it just feels like a lot of stuff has been edited out that we could have gotten more had this been another issue uh, I, I really think that the end of this the end of this issue should have been meeting the folklore and then the sixth issue should have been let's deal with the folklore and the librarians and get out of there but I, I don't know uh, I've uh, I think the other issues in the series are better I'm only giving this uh, three out of five slices of meatloaf. It's still a good book. I would still say if you've read the previous four issues, you might as well pick up the fifth. Or if you're looking for a story in the veins of um, of uh, uh, fables, then this is one that kind of starts to get you into that direction, but maybe from uh, the the reverse angle. It's a fine it's a fine book. Three slices of meatloaf out of five. Can't I? I know it sounds like I've complained a lot about it, but it's. Is just there. It was just kind of a oh, I expected you know something more and didn't get it. So that's my that's my big complaint on that. All right, that looks like that is it for the comic books. The good thing is at Major Spoilers we cover a bunch of different things. Even though our primary focus is on comic books, I think we'll see a lot of other websites try to pivot to TVs and movies, and then realize there's not a lot of stuff there. So I would caution everybody in the in the coming months to be on the lookout for an increase in rumors and hearsay and gossip on a bunch of sites. Um, but uh, in the meantime, we also cover some movies and some TV shows. And let's start with a TV show and Steven Universe Future. I thought, I didn't realize that this was a TV series, Rodrigo. I thought this was a movie and it was done. That's how they wrapped everything up. But apparently this is an, a, a series that has just finally released the, the final episode. Um, it will release the final episodes this week, I think. Ah, okay. Um, so I haven't seen them yet. Uh, but um, the last batch of episodes released uh, two days ago. Uh, so, yes, um, for those of you that are not keeping track of the Steven Universe world, uh, there was Steven Universe, which is a multi-season cartoon about the, the adventures of uh, the eponymous Steven Universe traveling around the world and through space. 
um, fighting monsters and mending hearts. And then they did make a movie. And the movie uh, takes place after the events of Steven Universe. And then Steven Universe Future takes place after the movie. So that's the chronological order, right? Steven Universe, then Steven Universe the movie, then Steven Universe Future. Okay. Um, and they have said Steven Universe Future is a separate piece from Steven Universe. And I think the reason they did that has become clear, rather than making another season of Steven Universe, is because they... Um, at first, it seemed, well, it's because the war is over, and now we're seeing what happens after the war. Um, but uh, to me, it really seems that they made that choice to separate it because Stephen is now a teenager, and he's going through some changes. And there are moments in this series in which he's uh, actually not very likable because he is just dealing with stuff. Yeah, um, he's got a lot of PTSD, right? He, he does, he does. Yeah, he, he does, in fact, have PTSD, and it's, they, they deal with it. They, they sit down and talk about it, and they're like, well... Um, and it's not just about the violent stuff, but the fact that he has no... A, a lot of what we would have as a frame of reference, he doesn't have, because he was raised by space aliens, literally. Um, so... Steven's never been to school. Steven uh, doesn't understand a lot of things that normal kids do or normal kids go through because he's never had to do them. So he starts to feel disconnected both from his uh, gem side and his human side. Um, so it's it's been it's been pretty interesting and it's been good. Like I don't uh, I, I've talked to people and they're like really down on on Steven right now. Um, and I'm not because I, I recognize that they are just really cranking into that aspect of things. A thing where like Steven's life has changed, he's going through some serious changes. He's finally had has time to relax and think about who he is when not in the context of the war. And he's having a really difficult time with it. Um, the last episode that I saw was Homeworld Bound. And uh, things get very intense. In these past couple episodes, um, things have gotten really tough for Steven. And everybody's just looking at him and being like, what is wrong? And he can't explain it. He can't, like, vocalize it. Like, people quote his own uh, advice to him because Steven has always been, like, the unifier. And he just, he hates it. He hates it when people tell him the advice that he gave them once because it doesn't apply to him anymore. He's changing. It's It's been very good. Uh, not to mention that compared to Steven Universe, the series, the animation it has been excellent. Not that it wasn't ever excellent in the other one, but it's consistent, right? Uh, Cartoon Network at some point decided to actually devote a serious amount of resources to the Steven Universe team and now every episode of Steven, like every episode of Steven Universe Future looks like every other episode, which is not something you can say about Steven Universe. Some episodes, the characters are really weird looking. Some episodes, the animation seems more fluid or more choppy or whatever. And it's just the, you know, the, the, the team trying 
you know, basically sending it to different animation studios, having people sub in and out instead of having like a consistent team. Uh, by the point by now, Steven Universe Future, um, you know, they've proven themselves. Uh, the characters are consistent, and that's good because it allows them to play with things. Uh, Steven, part of the thing is that Steven can change shape, and he changes shape very frequently throughout these episodes mm. um, to, uh, to 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 sort of uh, display how he's feeling, right? Um, so that consistent animation allows you to do that uh, much more readily than if every episode looks different, then you're like, well, is Steven turning into something else or is it just the way that this animator draws this um, or the way that this particular designer draws this? Uh, altogether, I'll give it four and a half slices of meatloaf. I haven't seen the last three episodes. Uh, they air later this week, but I wanted to talk about it before that happened uh, because I wanted to go on the record with the fact that I'm like really on board with what's happening, even though... They're like just really cranking up the pressure on Steven. And I really want to see where it goes. Very cool. Very, very cool. I see little clips that people are posting. And maybe it's Rebecca yeah. Sugar is posting it on her Twitter timeline. I just see him and I watch the little clips. And I saw the one where he was in the doctor's office saying, I don't know what's wrong with me. And the doctor's like, you're like PTSD, dude. And he's yeah. like, no way. And I was like, oh, my God, that's got that's really deep. That's really yeah. deep. It's something that uh, you don't see a lot in adventure fiction. The hero has actually outgrown his heroic role, and now he's got to do something else with himself. And I, I really want to know what the heck this is going to be next. Even though the last episode, is <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of of uh, soldier can't uh, can't go back to a normal life, um, yeah. and especially child soldier can't go back to a normal life uh, as as a trope. Because it's it's real, it's true, and you you're right. You so seldomly see it in fiction because once the story's done, that's once the war is done, that's where it ends. And just assume that everything will be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's bring things back around and and ground it here in the in the real world, Ashley. And let's talk about the movie The Hunt, which was supposed to be in the theater, then it got canceled because some people complained. Uh, yeah. they couldn't deal with it. And then uh, suddenly they bring it back, and then suddenly the movie theater shut down, so they take the hunt online. Yes. So I love Damon Lindelof. I am a Lindelof defender. Uh, sometimes I see him at the cinema that I go to and that I was planning to go to to watch the hunt. So I was very excited for this movie when it was announced. And this is another one of those, let's throw a bunch of people into a field and give them some weapons and see what happens. But the twist on this is supposed to be that it's a bunch of rich coastal elite snowflake liberals who are hunting a bunch of rednecky people from the Midwest and the South. And some people got bent out of shape about that. But let me tell you, the quote unquote, like right wing characters are, you know, they kind of like take back the night and they make a pretty good stand for themselves. It's a parody. Everyone is. You know, they take the piss out of everyone. Yeah. And it's very funny. Um, That's what I, I heard. Loved, it was funny. It is so, it's like shockingly funny. I love this movie from like the very second it started. Um, uh, uh, Terrible Green Arrow from Smallville is in it. And he's not terrible, which is great. I don't know his name. I'm sorry. He's on This Is Us and he's blonde. He was in Mercy Reef. I don't know. I can't be bothered. Um, <laughs> he's really good in this. And... I would really encourage people, if you like any of the tropes that this is based on, if you like anyone who's in this, Emma Roberts is also in this, um, really go check it out. It's 
so cool. And if you saw Ready or Not last year, it strikes that same tone. It is very aware of the type of movie it is, what the characters are, what you expect of them. And they very much do the things that you expect them to, except when they don't. And except when there's a twist. And the fight choreography in it is great. This movie is like a cool 90 minutes long. So there is no time wasted. Somebody fully dies in the first mm, three minutes. Who you really think is going to make it to the end of the movie and maybe be the lead. Mm. And it culminates uh, in an awesome fight. Uh, between Hilary Swank and the lady who is the lead of Glow, and I can't remember her name, so I'm going to furiously... Alison Brie? Uh, no, Betty Gilpin, the blonde. Oh, oh, she uh, she's, uh, has a very prominent role in this, and man, is she cool. And she's a great actress and really holds down an emotional life that actually resonates in this wild circumstance. But then when she's having this epic fight at the end because of uh, her training and obviously because of glow, she's doing most of the work herself, which for me, it's always such a huge plus and just makes it so much more epic. Like of everything that's on VOD that was chased out of the cinemas. I really think this movie, because of all the nonsense it has to had to put up with to just get to our televisions is one that is worth seeing. It is so much better than it has any right to be. And you will not leave it feeling bad about yourself, which is a big plus in this time. <laughs> uh, right right now, because on Geek History Lesson, we always do a best of the year. This is my best movie of 2020. We'll see how if it stays in that position. Uh, but it is like uh, far and away the coolest thing I've seen this year. Okay. I, I have a question. Have you seen the movie Tucker and Dale versus Evil? Oh, I surely have a hundred times. <laughs> okay. How does it, are these in the same vein as one another or not? No, this is much okay. more serious. Than okay. That. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. It's not that goofy. Okay. All right. I mean, I mean, there are, there are moments that tend toward, tend toward that. Like the, the, uh, you know, the lady from, uh, Arkansas mm -hmm. says something where you're like, well, yeah, people from Arkansas, but also the person from, uh, you know, the CEO in New York, is exactly the delicate snowflake that you would expect them ah, to be. Okay. So All that's right. why I think this movie really works because it doesn't take itself too seriously. And it is, uh, dare I say, taking a shot at uh, each and every character that you come across. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Even Aquaman. Uh, is that, is that, is that terrible green arrow? Yeah. No. I don't think so. I'm just, I'm just going to look him up. I'm Just, sorry. Justin Hartley Thank played Aquaman you. in Mercy Reef. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he's like, this is my favorite thing he's ever done. <laughs> he's, he's really good in this. Um, yeah. All right. He's, cool. got a, he's got a good surprise up his sleeve. So if you're a, a Justin Hartley stan, I apologize for calling him Terrible Green Arrow. Uh, he's quite good at this. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think uh, it's on my list as well as, as we talked about in the pre-show. Uh, saw Onward. Uh, saw yeah. Sonic. We'll be adding The Hunt and Bloodshot, and Birds of Prey, and there's at least one or two others. Oh, 1917, and so um, and the what one? 1917. I mean, oh, there's so a, lot, a lot of, but like 1917 is so good. Yeah, I'm going to watch that on Saturday. So uh, very good. So there you go. Some good reviews. We will continue to have more reviews for you in the future, including, including trade paperback discussions for those of you that want to purchase things through the Amazon link at Majorspoilers.com. This week, it's pretty deadly. The Shrike, 
from Kelly Sue DeConnick and Emma Rios, published by Image Comics. And I will say this. This is a weird book. This is a book that, you know, I read this on Saturday, and this is a Tuesday when we, re- we, when we record, so I've had a lot of time to think about this book. Um, and it is, it is different. It is weird. It's got a different kind of storytelling. It has a very different story, but none of it makes sense until you get towards like the final two chapters of the book or the final two issues of the book. Um, and even then the ending is like, well, there's another story coming. So hang tight, everybody. This is like an HBO series where they, again, they don't explain everything in the, in the 10, 10 episodes until you get to this, the, the eighth episode. And then things are like, oh, all these events are now starting to make sense and, and click into place. So Rodrigo, please try to explain pretty deadly to, to the rest of us. Um, let's see. So, uh, Pretty Deadly Volume 1 is framed as a story told uh, by the uh, corpse of a rabbit to a butterfly. So already there, you're uh, hopefully that gets you in the mood for what a weird uh, kind of story this is. Um, and then from there... Uh, the the narration jumps around to all of these different characters. There's a girl wearing a um, buzzer vulture, a, yeah, like a vulture cloak, like a cloak of vulture feathers. Uh, she walks around, or, or she travels with an old man who is uh, who appears to be blind. Um, there's like a sneaky cowboy. There's a big, tall, scary uh, lady in black. Uh, chasing after them um there's uh Ginny who is like a um mysterious phantom person that appears when her name is called there's uh a bunch of characters and um slowly uh, oh and also death there's death death is a character yes, in yes. this um and as the stories unfold you start seeing where they connect with each other um and the greater arc which is that death uh the current death doesn't want to die the uh uh buzzard cloak girl is his replacement although she doesn't know it although some of her companions know it um, and it's basically like we need to get this girl to this place so that the natural order of things can be restored. Uh, but also there's almost everyone has a personal connection to at least one or two of the other characters. There's very much a like a Persephone mm-hmm. uh, in in the underworld kind of situation going that the, the blind man has a connection to. Um, and so as, as things unfold, you see kind of where everybody connects to it. And, uh, then, uh, at the end they're like, oh yeah, well, we'll see, we'll see some of these characters again, yeah. uh, in the next story. Yeah. It's cause the majority, cause the majority of them die actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a different story, Matthew. It is. Uh, there's, there's two takes on it that I've kind of been wrestling with um when i bought the first issue 
I felt like I was reading a poem. Yes, exactly. And I like that concept, and I, I like the idea. I feel like there, I talk about this a lot. There are times when I'm reading something and it puzzles me, and I feel like I'm just not getting it. But there's something there. It's something, you know, something that I'm trying to decode, but I'm not necessarily getting it. And this yes. is actually the first time I've read all six issues in a row together. Uh, I have, you know, I bought issue one, I've reviewed others for the site, but I've never sat down and read the book all at once. And what it comes together for me is this is, this is, this is a metaphor. This is a story about telling stories, but not necessarily in the same way as like that Sandman volume where everything is, here's a story. But in this story, a character is going to tell you a story about a story that he was Mm -hmm. told by his teacher Mm -hmm. about a story she was told by her teacher. It's like that, but it's more, it's more of a, almost an extended metaphor. And I don't know if you guys, spoilers, have even looked at volume two. No. Volume two does a specific long-term time jump. So the Western aspect of it in this volume doesn't carry over into volume two. Hmm. And I think that that's important. That's my biggest takeaway from this reread after having read I want to say about half of uh, the second volume is the Western stuff is the hat that this story is wearing to confuse you into thinking you're reading just a standard issue comic book. When in fact, what you're reading is a poem and I love it, but I don't feel it makes me feel dumb. I don't feel like I'm getting it all. I feel like there's, (laughs) There's levels that I am completely incapable of understanding, and I I find that fascinating. Yeah, no. Because and I, I, this, I, this is, is going to sound like I have a big head. That doesn't happen to me very often, this, especially when we're dealing with comic narrative. This is one of those times where you and I agree on this because I was in the shower this morning, going, "How do I try to explain this book?" And I and I the first thing that came to mind on Saturday when I was reading it was, "Yes, this is very much a poem." So we're right on target there. The other yeah. thing was. This is like giving original Shakespeare to someone who has only ever read the newspaper comic strips their entire life. Yeah. You can understand the words. You can follow the flow of a story, but there's some deeper underlying thing that is lost in the translation from Shakespeare and newspaper strip comics. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that if you're going to buy this book... And maybe, Ashley, you have some different thoughts on this. If you're going to buy this book, this is something that you're going to have to probably read a couple times to really get a deeper appreciation on. Yeah, I have a different opinion. Okay. Uh, my opinion is uh, this is a great book to look at. It's, <laughs> it's really it's really stunning. Um, there is uh, an opening to issue three or four where it's just a buffalo. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's very, very striking. Uh, everything Jordi Belair touches is... I mean, stunning. Like she's like the best colorist who's ever existed. Um, you know, and uh, this is my favorite thing Kelly Sudaconic has ever written. Um, but I would not categorize myself as a fan of her work. And I'm only saying that just so that people kind of know what my bias is as I go on to speak a little bit more about this. This book kind of came out around the same time that East of West, uh, the Hickman western oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh was super trendy and uh to me it feels derivative of that 
And uh, I think East and West is another book that looks really great, but is intentionally obtuse for the sake of being obtuse uh, <laughs> with ultimately little to no emotional payoff or narrative thrust. Uh, and I kind of find I kind of find this volume to be the same way. I didn't hate it. I enjoyed reading it. Um, I'll probably look at the next couple volumes, but when I sit back and think of it, from for me, from a storyteller's perspective, like I, I don't have a lot to say about it because I just don't think there's that much there besides, ooh, a bunny skeleton. Isn't that neat? <laughs> and for me, and it's just my opinion, that is not an, like it's cool is not a good enough reason to do something. Yeah. And I, to me, that is all this book is, is wouldn't this be kind of cool? And then like, wow, do you want to see a dick on panel? We sure got that. Yeah, I was, uh, this was a story about telling stories, as Matthew said, because we, at the very, at the very moment that we have a vulture girl show up and start telling the story about a man who locked this woman up in a, in a tower, they're telling you everything you need to know about the story. The problem is when you first read the book, you're not aware that this is the actual story that you're going to be told. And, and so from that point, it goes from a very five paragraph essay that I try to get my students into uh, thinking about. Tell me what you're going to tell me, then tell me and then tell me what you told me. You know, the, the very basics of, of writing an essay. And that's what this book kind of does is it follows that almost to a T. It's telling you what's coming up and who all the players are and what the backstory is. Now let's tell you all these things that we just told you we were going to tell you about and expand upon their stories uh, about the guy who gets shot in the, in the leg or the butt or wherever he gets shot and the tall, scary woman and the, and the Ginny and the vulture girl and the blind guy. And then we're going to tell you everything that we've already told you because that's the way the story works. So, I I found this book, as I said, it feels like a weird HBO series, almost a little it, bit like right. Westworld, this, where you're this would led be a up. wonderful television show. Yes. Because this book, if it ever gets adapted, the adaptation will be so much better than the yes. comic. Because yes, that's what I think. Because you'll just be able to seed so much more. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't know, I I can't say that I like this book. I, I will say that I thought that it had some very interesting moments and some very interesting characters but I can't say that I that I like this book, not because it was uh, uh, too hard and I'm one of the dumb ones that can't figure out what this is about, uh, but because it was just, it just, just because, of the, I don't know, it, it, the story wasn't overly compelling once you kind of figured out what the, the, mm-hmm. the hook was, which was probably like issue three when the, when they're told the story about uh, when he dug down to hell and death was like, go kill this uh, creature that's going to come out of the water. Uh, and then yeah. it's like, oh, okay, well, now we understand kind of what's going on. Then it kind of fell apart for me. So I don't, I don't know. I, it... I think we were also spoiled by, we read, um, we read Six Gun last year. Yes. Which at face value has, is a lot, they're, they're very similar, right? You've mm-hmm. got, uh, mm-hmm. Western trappings. Yes. Uh, you've got magical girls, you've got prophecy, you've got the realm of the dead, you've got characters who are destined to, uh, do this or that to each other. You have scummy guys who have to turn out to be heroes and the six gun is just so much cleaner and more fully realized. Well, and I think it's because I had more we... time to tell that story, right? Absolutely. And look, there's any number of circumstances why... Six Gun, in my opinion, is better. But I think maybe if we hadn't spent like all of last year reading it, <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't have come to such an immediate comparison. But like reading yeah. this, I was like, man, I just could reread Six Gun. <laughs> Rodrigo, did you like this book? 
I did. I did like it. Um, I actually picked up this trade, I don't know, years ago um, because of the art, because I really like the way that it looks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Emma Rios is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I read it, and I I enjoyed it. Um, I think that... For me, it's it's hard to compare it to Six Gun, but but I see where the that comparison comes from. It's because it's like cowboy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like to me, this really feels more Sandman-ish. Mm-hmm. Like like here's a story about something that happened, and in that same sense, is like like here's a here's like a tricksy guy. He like gives a book to a girl and then gets shot, and it's like, well, my my this is a comic book writer sense is going off that eventually there's going to be a whole volume just about this character who did one thing or like two things in this comic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what I assume is going to happen. And kind of the same thing for the world in general, for all of these characters where, um, you know, when you start reading Hellboy... Uh, or when you're reading a volume of Hellboy, they're like, oh, yeah, so there's this guy and there's this other character. That's a werewolf. And then blah, 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 blah. And then they don't go back to the fact that that guy's a werewolf mm-hmm. until either much later in the volume or in a different volume, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just something that gets dropped. And this volume felt a lot like that. And if you like it, if you like the world and if you like this kind of like this is this feels incomplete and it doesn't feel fleshed out Mm -hmm. because somebody's telling you a story right they're like this is they're giving you the relevant information um rather than this being like a a television show in which you are seeing every panel and every decision and everything that everybody does this is uh the narrator again telling you a story like the the audience or you know i guess kind of the chorus is like, hey, uh, go back and tell me about this other character. And so you'll like stop what you're doing and go back and talk about something. And that gives it a different feel. And also, it deliberately allows the writer to obscure certain things uh, that yeah. they can reveal later. So I, I, I'm interested in uh, reading another volume of Pretty Deadly and, and seeing where it goes. I, I, can, I haven't read it, but I can almost guarantee that it will be a story that takes place in a much smaller amount of time, like with it, like story wise, like, mm. cause that, that seems to be like the next step is like sweeping story to establish a setting, small story to establish character. And then from then on, like different stories that take place within the thing. But that, that's just me guessing, you know, I, I haven't read it. And if yeah. you've read it and you're like, ha ha, what a fool. Then, you know, I, I guess I accept that. I'm like that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I think that the, the mythological aspect of it does affect the way you have to process this story because in a lot of ways, the mythology part of it is about archetypes. It is about things that we know are going to happen. It is about, here's this mysterious girl. She seems like she's somehow related to death. Death is upset that he's going to be replaced. QED, one plus one equals three. Obviously, this girl is going to become the new death. But in some ways, it's the how of the story. Sure. And as with many of the, you know, the myths that are of that oral tradition, it kind of depends on who's doing the telling. And I think that your particular philosophies and the four of us have, I think, very different philosophies on a lot of what? things. Even though we no, even, do, good, do good, be good. That's the only philosophy you need. 
but this is the thing. That's not the only philosophy you need, and it's certainly not the only philosophy that we have. And even though we all see a lot of things on the same level, and we do have a lot of thought processes in common, and we feel I feel like the way that we view the universe is similar, but it's different enough to where I walk away from this story going, ooh, you know, deep philosophical meaning, and Ashley goes, <laughs> and... <laughs> That's fine. That's cool because it, it when it comes to something that is this philosophical, it's also going to be very personal. And if it's something that, you know, if you read this story and you're able to read something into it, I feel like you are bringing, I am bringing something to the table that makes it more enjoyable for me. Now, whether or not that is going to work for everybody, I don't know. So I you, can tell you, you really like the this worst book comic though. book that I've ever read is a good comic book. This is a really, really good comic book. Mm. Okay. Um, this is one that is definitely a big borrow from me. Uh, I, after reading this, I have very little interest in reading the second volume, but I think that there is something here that is worth checking out. I don't think that this is something that I would recommend people owning, uh, but I definitely say check this one out from the library and read it and enjoy it for what it is. And then um, you can you can have philosophical discussions with your friends about it. Uh, Ashley, final thoughts from you? Yeah, I definitely, even though I think I struggled with it the most, I don't think this comic is a wash. And I would definitely agree with borrow it or, uh, you know, if you're looking to support your local comic book shops, maybe buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I think this book is interesting, but I don't feel like it's fully realized, but I think if you like anything that we talked about intrigued you, definitely give it a, give it a look. Yeah. I mean, it's a Western with death who's afraid to die and death is coming for death. Right. So, I mean, yeah. just that story right there is intriguing enough. Now, whether the other stuff that you're presented is worth sticking around for, I, I don't that's know. Up to you. Yeah, that's up to yeah. you. Rodrigo, final thoughts from you. Um, I think from an art and design stand standpoint, it's worth picking. It's worth looking into just for that. I would say pick it up because I would pick it up because I did. And honestly, it's pretty rare. It's like one of the very few comic books that I just like look through and grab. So I would say just from the art or just from the art, it's uh, worthwhile. Um, story wise, uh, just be prepared for a. Um, from a storytelly type story from something that sounds like someone is telling you a story rather than actually seeing everybody's motivation, everybody's backstory, uh, why everything happened. You get the through line of a story and then the intimations of lots of other things. Yeah. Yeah. And Matthew. If you listen to our major spoilers podcasts and in those moments where I go off on my weird abstract tangents and I start speaking of, uh, you know, weird philosophical moments. If you listen to those tangents and go, yeah, I want to know more, or you think, oh, wow, this is a smart guy, and not just listen to the douchebag blowing wind, <laughs> I would say that this is a rush right out in a buying frenzy, because you might have the type of mindset that would allow you to go in and go, oh, wow, this is all super deep. If, on the other hand, you are 
you have problems with a non-traditional narrative or a structure that is sometimes more important than the story being told. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you if you're bothered by the fact that a sestina has to go a certain way, regardless of what words you put in it, maybe it's a borrow. I definitely love this book, and I would recommend it to all the weirdos out there who are weirdos like me. But if you're a weirdo in a different sense, uh, like my colleagues here, eh, you know, maybe go in with a sense of trepidation. All right, that is where we're going to wrap it up, and thank you so much for being with us, and thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers Experience this week. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback, so use the comment section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this and every episode. Or even better, send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. Hey, remember, wash your hands, uh, keep your social distancing going on, go buy comics if you can, and we will be back next week because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your face if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.